0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, June the 10th, and judging from the headlines in today's newspapers, uh, there's only one thing on America's mind, Uh, Donald Trump. Uh, putting, according to the New York Times, the U.S. justice system to the test, according to the Washington Post, whose who's vindication for their existence is democracy dies in darkness, uh, the Trump indictment thrust Biden into unprecedented territory. In other words, the American divisions between Trump and Biden are even more sensitive and perhaps troubling. And then the Wall Street Journal, which tends to be a little bit more conservative, also leads with the Trump issue uh, headline saying that Trump faces split screen of campaign criminal trials. We are all bracing for a very odd next couple of years when it comes to politics. How are we going to bring people back together in America? That's the question. It's interesting. Funny, last week I had Peter Gleick... uh, uh a an environmental writer one of the world's leading experts on water on the show we were talking about the disagreements in america on the environment and uh uh peter was on the show he was wearing a purple shirt and i half jokingly said peter we need a purple presidency when it comes to bringing people together and great minds think alike because uh there is indeed uh, a new book out called "The, Pur- the Purple Presidency, 2024," uh, by my guest um, C. Owen Papke. He certainly uh, is keen on the the P word, and he is joining us from Breckenridge in Colorado. Owen, um, the Purple Presidency—it actually kind of reminds me of the Pope. Another P word. Why do we have this term? purple. What's the significance of purple for you as a color?
1: Well, simply a blend of red and blue that uh, the country has spent way too much time in recent years. All red uh, in their government or all blue in their government, and that doesn't work very well. Uh, It works much better when there's a degree of bipartisanship and a search for common ground. Uh, when you're trying to govern in Washington, and the common ground between red and blue is purple.
0: When you say it works, better, do you have examples from the past where, in your view at least, the American system worked quite well? I mean, American history, of course, is dominated by division from the rebellion against the British to the Civil War uh to all the furor over the new deal and the culture wars of the 1960s what for you was a period where america was indeed purple
1: well it's never been perfectly purple and it never will be but there certainly were significant bipartisan elements all throughout the post-world war ii period if you think about going all the way back to truman and eisenhower but I often look at the last uh, 20 years before this century. If you look, for example, at uh, the Reagan presidency, things that got done in the Reagan presidency got done after extensive discussions between him and his friend, Tip O'Neill. And Reagan and O'Neill were very good friends, but they agreed on almost nothing. Uh, until they got down and started searching for common grounds and you had a a productive presidency. You can look at the exact mirror image of that uh, with Clinton and and Gingrich, uh, a Democratic president, a uh, Republican Speaker of the House. They didn't even like each other, and yet they worked together very effectively for a period of five years and uh, very constructive and accomplished quite a bit, something that we haven't been able to do in the last two administrations and some would argue even before then.
0: But wasn't there a manifestation of, of all that, um, people not particularly liking one another, but working quite well on the, um, the debt uh, reduction issue a couple of weeks ago, that Biden worked with uh, a Republican uh, Congress to come up with a deal. It wasn't a deal that many people liked. In fact, everybody hated it, but they got it through. So it can be done. And it is being done when it comes to really important issues like uh, the budgetary one that could have destroyed the American economy and indeed brought the whole world economy down, had America defaulted on its debt. Sure.
1: Uh, I mean, absolutely. That You can certainly quibble with some of that you know by virtue of the fact that for a very long time the biden administration was saying we simply will not talk to the speaker of the house presidents and speakers of the house actually need to talk particularly if they are different parties but let's just leave that aside what that proves is that if there is a gun to your head you will actually try to cooperate with the opposing party that's not the standard you have to have some cooperation with the opposing party in the routine matters and the important matters that are not yet crises. This one had to be a crisis that was within days of causing some of the disastrous consequences you're talking about before people would actually compromise. that That isn't my view of, of American democracy.
0: So I think most people would probably agree with you, uh, Owen, that uh, there are profound troubling divisions in America, but the explanations uh, are all over the place. A lot of people blame the media, a lot of people blame conservatives, others blame the left. What has happened, in your view, in the purple presidency? Why has America become the country where, as you suggested, nothing gets done, nobody talks to one another, and the, the two parties become, it seems at least in some ways, more and more extreme? Well, there's plenty of blame to go
1: around, certainly including, uh, you know, the, uh, the malefactors that you mentioned. I don't honestly spend a lot of time on that. I mean, I think there's been a structural change that's maybe little appreciated, that the role of the presidential primaries changed radically between the late 20th century and the 21st century in that they used to be very few and not very significant. I mean, they were essentially beauty pageants. You would have seven, eight, nine, ten 10 in a year, I mean, in, a, in an election year, as opposed to whatever there are now, 49 or something, including uh, the caucuses. And um, they weren't vehicles for the most radical segments of both of the parties to take control and nominate who they wanted. The nominees tended to be much more mainstream. So there's certainly a structural factor that um, maybe is little appreciated in this. But at the end of the day, the voters still have the power to get things done if they choose to get things done. And my position is that at this point, the voters have had enough of this experiment with four years of Trump and four years of Biden, and they're really not looking for four years of either one of them again, and they're ready to do something different. And if the major parties don't want to nominate someone that the American people actually want sitting in the Oval Office, then maybe you have to go outside of that.
0: Is that a threat, Owen, are you making to the party? Yeah. I mean, it sounds... It, 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 to me, if if you can't figure out what the problem is, then how are you going to fix it? I mean, if you can't figure out why there's a problem. So you're suggesting that the only real reason why we have these increasingly troubling divisions is because um, of the primary system. Isn't it more substantial than that? What about social and economic change? What about what some people see as neoliberalism, increasing inequality between the wealth and poor, the crisis of the middle class, the appearance of uh, a new aristocracy on the coasts, and an increasing collapse of conversation between them and, and the hinterland. Aren't all those things important? Yes, uh, but but we get back to
1: where I am. There's a there's a whole lot of problems in this world that I can't solve, and a whole lot of trends that are going to happen whether I want them or not. So I'm really not in a position to threaten anybody. What I am in a position to say is that even people who disagree, including for reasons of the kind that you have described, can work together, find common ground, make compromises, and keep the ship of state afloat and even constructively afloat, not perfectly in the view of either side, But constructively, you can do good things. Um, I'll, I'll take a look at welfare reform, for example, when you had Clinton and Gingrich. Clinton wanted welfare reform, Gingrich wanted welfare reform, and their two conceptions of them were very different, and yet... They reached something that a lot of people decried at the time, and they were very concerned about it. And within five to 10 years, a lot of the people, including the New Republic, who had criticized it quite vigorously at the time, said, well, actually, it kind of worked. We have a significantly reduced uh, teenage pregnancy. We have uh, better women participation in the workforce. We have much less uh, child poverty. You know, a, a, a number of good things happened out of that. Uh, there's dozens of examples like that where compromise and cooperation have achieved great things.
0: Well, I think if you and I'm using your language to, to call um, Clinton's welfare reform a great thing is is certainly arguable. You um you, you talk about this idea that um, in a purple presidency that um that America would be able to elect more uh, moderate politicians, that deeply divisive figures like Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I mean, Trump is, of course, by definition, that's his brand, is to be divisive. But what's divisive about Biden? He's an old man. He's a little doddery. Um, he seems very reasonable. He puts on old-fashioned aviator glasses. He, his, his goal seems to be to... To offend nobody, maybe. What is it about someone like Biden that makes him so divisive? If if Biden's divisive, then where are you going to find a politician who doesn't divide? Well, uh, look, I have aviator glasses that look a whole lot
1: like the president's. And
0: um, uh, you're you're not you're not of his vintage, Owen, but you're. You're not that much younger. so uh... no, I'm, I'm an old
1: man, too. There's no right. doubt. No, but for example, I think that Biden, not everybody agrees with me on this or on anything else, but um, there was certainly a time when Biden was considered a moderate in within the Senate, and he worked across party lines, and uh, he had a tradition for that. It's not like he's always been divisive. But if you look at the history, going back to the 2020 campaign, when he was rolling along toward the nomination in an attempt to unify his own party, he entered into a compact um, with Bernie Sanders. Now, by the way, I think Bernie Sanders absolutely belongs in the Senate. I don't believe he belongs in the White House because he is um, somewhat extreme in his views and he's somewhat divisive. But the point is that... um, Biden and Bernie or their, uh, you know, or their staffs entered into an agreement. It was something like 70 pages long. It was a compact. It was published. Uh, you probably have seen it, um, which set out what the Biden
0: agenda would be in government. But that's, uh, I don't remember that. These politicians are always forming uh, compacts with one another. I mean, that was just politics. Uh, Sanders was a powerful figure within the party. Uh, These people always have to hash out political agreements, either on the left or the right. I'm guessing that even even Trump, in his own bizarre way, probably had compacts with people in his own party. Isn't that what politics is all about? I don't see Biden. I mean, Biden Biden is not embraced by people on the left. A lot of people think think of him as a, as a conservative. So I don't see what, there's, what, what is divisive about Biden. Well,
1: no, I, I just have to disagree with your characterization of that agreement. Uh, well, yes, well, well,
0: okay, so he signed agreement. What, what, what came out of that? What makes Biden an example of an extreme president?
1: Well, because he's governed in accordance with that agreement.
0: Uh, If you look at, for example,
1: uh, you know, some of the issues that are very, very troubling to many Americans on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, the uh, the level of debt spending that's occurred and and a lot of it. it, And there would have been a great deal more had Building Back Better been uh, enacted, which was very much a part of the compact I'm talking about. And um, it, you know that's had serious consequences that most Americans don't agree with, and that goes all the way to Larry Summers, who is not
0: exactly a hard right kind of guy.
1: Well, he's not exactly the- a
0: hard left kind of guy either. So, what kind of centrist, in your mind, would, uh, could, and would run and should run for for, for office? Your, your book comes with a blurb from uh, Nancy Jacobson from No Labels, um, who came on the show last year, suggesting to me that a, a Trump-Biden rematch would be a, a black swan moment for a third-party candidate. It doesn't seem so far. It seems likely that the two of them will run against each other, and I don't see any black swans on the horizon. Give me some examples of a potential purple president in America, someone who can um, someone who can uh, represent neither, in least in your mind, Biden or Trump?
1: Well, uh, of course, it's a little early to be talking about... Well, you've got a
0: book out called The Purple Presidency, so you must have some people in mind. No, sir,
1: I do not. I, I wrote an appendix that included some people who had been mentioned, but... People like who we're talking about don't do not emerge this early. If you go back to 1992, Ross Perot emerged in February of 1992, the year of that election. The ideas behind him were around for some time, but his declaration of any interest in the presidency came quite late in the game. To me, what you're really looking at here more is. Um, Is there a platform, is there a series of issues on which most Americans agree, on which neither the right wing of the Republican Party nor the left wing of the Democratic Party agree, and that the extreme views are being much more in evidence in the White House than the centrist views that most people agree with?
0: Yeah, you keep on talking about most people. I'm not sure who these most people are, although others, I think, agree with you. We had a USC sociologist, uh, Elizabeth currid Halkett, on the show this week. Excellent show. She has a new book out, The Overlooked Americans, The Resilience of Our Rural Towns and What It Means for Our Country. I think she sees purple America out there. She might have even described uh, the America where all these overlooked Americans live as, as the purple America. And I've also had Monica Guzman on the show uh, who runs uh, uh, Braver Angels, one of the senior people there. They've got a convention actually coming up in July at Gettysburg, which I might be going to. Um, so, so you're certainly not in a minority, but I still don't see who these types of people are. America is for better or worse, um, a society deeply bound up with celebrity media. So, a man like Ross Perot seems archaic now, and I'm not sure even if he would. I mean, he wouldn't have been a purple American. He was in his own way quite extreme, wasn't he? I mean, with yes, his attitude I, I, of debt and the economy. I mean, you have a strong position on debt, but some people would simply disagree with you. They'd say you're wrong. A lot yes, of economists it. believe that America can run a large deficit and re- remain a very viable economy. So these these issues are open to interpretation of course and they're open to debate but i'll go back to you asked who are these people they're the people
1: who respond in all of these issue kind of polling the pew research nork harvard harris you name it where they say they're very troubled by the rapidly rising debt levels and they think that the next president should do something about that and and believe me this is not a partisan view Trump was a very heavy spender and took on a whole lot of debt. And Biden has been a heavy spender and has taken on even more debt. It's kind of an odd situation. At the end of the Clinton presidency, there was no debt problem in America. uh Bush 43 then created more debt per year than any previous president. Obama broke that record, Trump broke that record, and Biden is breaking Trump's record. This is a pretty linear kind
0: of problem. Yeah, but that's why Americans true. are very concerned about. Well, you say most Americans isn't it easy for everyone to complain all the time and say, I don't like extremes, I'm in the center, I want government control, I want government spending under control. And yet when it comes down to it, when it comes to Medicare, for example, or schools or roads, people are enormously angry when government spending undermines their lifestyle. So it's very convenient for people not to support the two parties to be independent. But ultimately, the people are responsible. They're the ones who elect the government. Which is exactly my point. This is a a country
1: founded on consent of the governed. But I'm saying that that consent is somewhat attenuated when each party insists on nominees that most Americans do not want. And I don't think the polls can possibly be mistaken on that point. They've been incredibly consistent on the notion that uh, uh, Trump was the most unpopular president ever since polling began. And Biden is challenging him for that record. And we really won't know until the end whether he's managed to overtake him. But these are the two most unpopular presidents since polling began. And why on earth should it be that those are the only two choices handed to the American people? I don't I do not approve of that.
0: But isn't one of the challenges for the two parties to reform themselves? I I take your point on the primaries. I think that's a really important observation but for the Republicans, for example, to stand up to Trump or for the, the Democrats to do away with the centralized control and allow younger, more energetic and more interesting people to run against Biden? Yes, I, I really do think that the parties need to undertake this. And
1: I think they're like, you know, some mules. You have to get their attention first, and that's often done with a two by four. The people, the voters have to have a chance to send a message that says, you're not doing what we want.
0: But what you keep on, you seem to think you know what the people want, which is addressing the government debt. I'm not convinced with that. Where is this going to come from? Is this going to come from a third party candidate who, um, who, who who claims to speak on behalf of, of Purple America? Is it, is it going to come from Braver Angels or from uh, N- Nancy Jacobson's no-label group or from some other group that you're involved with?
1: Well, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Obviously, no-labels has been very active in this area and has uh, raised money to attempt to at least get a third candidate on all 50 states, well, 51, including Columbia, um, ballot lines. uh, So, I mean, they're clearly very active in that. But I, I, I continue to believe that the only way you're really going to get this kind of reform is for a whole lot of people to stand up and demand it. That we are not seeing the quality and the kind of candidates that we want to see. And we want to see something better. If the parties, excuse me, I'm not against the parties. I think the parties have gone off in the wrong direction in recent years in that there's basically both of them now take the view that if we have a majority of one and we can cram down exactly what we want without consulting the other side, that's what we'll do. And that's not satisfactory. Much better results are achieved when the parties get together and argue about things and find some common ground. I mean, the uh, civil rights legislation was a classic example of that. And there's many, many more.
0: Well, We've but took a hundred years to work out. And uh, we know the background to that. And there were still people deeply hostile to that even now. Um uh, this seems to me as if you can get a third-party candidate from one of two areas. One, media, some sort of celebrity who will run a kind of Ross Perot-style figure, uh, a Mark Cuban, for example, or an Oprah Winfrey. And the other is a is a technocrat kind of candidate, uh, a, a government insider, a Pete budajich style from outside the two major parties, which to you is more likely if we are to get what you won, which is a purple presidency in 2024? Well, I wouldn't dismiss at all either of the suggestions. Uh, I don't mean the
1: individuals, but the categories that that you've listed. But for example, there's obviously at this point a great deal of talk about Joe Manchin. Uh, I have no idea if Joe Manchin has any interest in this or would accept it if offered to him or how the American people would receive him, although he has much lower negatives than either Trump or Biden. But no, I don't agree that the media are the only place that this can happen. The media obviously has a certain amount of power, but ultimately the responsibility lies with the voters. And in West Virginia, a Democrat has been repeatedly elected by the reddest state or nearly the reddest state in the country. So it is possible for people to cross party lines and to, in some instances, simply ignore party designations in order to get a person they want in office. I think that's possible
0: on a larger scale. Well, Joe Manchin doesn't surprise me. You like him. He talks a lot about the government deficit, although certainly environmentalists would be deeply troubled by a Manchin Manchin presidency. And Richards, of course, famously noted about Texas that the only thing in the middle of the road was was dead roadkill. Isn't that true in politics, too? I mean, when you think historically, who, who are the great centrist politicians? Aren't those contradictions in terms? If you're going to be a great politician, you have to run aggressively on some political plank or other. You need to you need to have a community, an ideology, a position, and you need to change the world in, in, as a reflection of what you believe. Well, the most recent example of somebody you're talking about would have been
1: Bill Clinton. After several uh, defeats in a row from more left-wing candidates, he more or less formed, or he certainly energized, a movement called the New Democrats which took a more centrist position. He ran on a more centrist position than his predecessors had done. He was elected on that more centrist position. And particularly after he had a little bit of a nudge from Newt Gingrich, he governed on a more centrist position. And as I said, I'm not idolizing Bill Clinton, nor do I think that the only issue out there is uh, the debt. You know, in um, in, in my book, in chapter two, I talk about nine issues, uh, several of which are at least of equal importance to the dead. But uh, if you're asking you mention a couple of those, sure. Um, the energy climate change uh, issue, the uh, social security
0: insolvency issue, the
1: uh, border issue.
0: Uh, America's, but, all, but all those, um, I mean, I think those are really important issues, but they're all ideological issues. They're not you you can't you can't turn the border into a purple issue. You gotta stand on one side of it or another. If you're no, on the border itself, you're gonna get a, a painful pinch in the bottom.
1: Yeah. Well, I've gotten a few painful pinches in my life, but I absolutely do not agree with you. I categorically disagree with you that there is no common ground on immigration. In fact, there have been three or four bills that have been introduced at various times any one of which would have been vast improvements over where we are now or over where we were during the Trump administration. So there are positions that blend concerns of both sides that actually are much better than the position of either side. And whether they're much better, I I don't claim to be the arbiter of what is the exactly right position, but I do stand for the proposition that the people are supposed to be in charge and consent of the governed means something and democracy means something. And we ought to be able on these major issues to have resolutions that most people can agree with. And we have categorically failed in that over the course of the last two administrations.
0: Um, Owen, yesterday I had the uh, intellectual historian, Mark Leela on the show. I'm sure you know his work. He was talking to us from Rome. He has an essay out in the New Quarterly Liberties on uh, warning us against nostalgia, looking back, idealizing the past. You keep on going back to Clinton in the 90s. It might be nice to go back to Clinton in the 90s, when America ruled the world, before the internet, before the rise of Putin, before COVID, before the, 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 the great crash of, of 2020. But I think people like Leela would suggest you can't. You're just turning um, the the 90s, which was the last really halcyon moment, perhaps, in America, the, the end of the 20th century, which was the American century, into the 21st century, which some people suggest is the Chinese century. And America simply has to come to terms with an entirely different world, a different country, different issues do you really think we can go back to the 90s of clinton it's not
1: necessarily a matter of going back it's simply an example of how the parties manage the governance of america for a very long time in a very constructive way i don't think that that part of the american tradition has become antiquated or or
0: uh, you, you don't or think that the that the political crisis that you describe and i, and I, I strongly agree with you on 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 what you're observing is itself a reflection of american decline of um in the world of divisions that you seem to think that there are two things there's the, the party political system which is increasingly rotten and in america which is just sailing along in a healthy way with all these purple voters who need to click their fingers and elect a third party candidate? I just don't buy that argument. It hasn't? Aren't these two things intertwined and very hard to separate? Well, of course they're intertwined, and and uh, and you know
1: we deal with the issues that come up, uh, and those issues change over time without any doubt. What, in my view, does not change over time is. An American tradition that worked very well for a very long time of trying to find common ground on those issues and arriving at at uh, a situation where you don't have a yo-yo. I mean, one of the things I mentioned was climate change. For God's sakes, Obama joins the Paris Accord. Trump comes in and abandons the Paris Accord and, and wants to go back to coal mining. And Biden comes in and he goes Back all in on the Paris Accord and basically wants to ban all hydrocarbons in the United States. I'm exaggerating for effect, but the directionally what I just said is true. That's a yo yo-yo. yo. Yo yo's never go anywhere, they go up and down and up and down and they end up in the same place. So, what I'm saying is. That yes, of course, things have changed. But if you look back in the 80s and 90s, Japan was going to conquer the world. That was common ground among all of these insightful, of visionaries that Japan was the new order and they were going to take charge. And you know what? They didn't. And it was largely due not only to American resiliency, but due to the fact that the Japanese had a very serious demographic problem. The Chinese have a very serious demographic problem. There are there obviously are other factors in play at various times. But if you wanna talk about Xi and Putin, they are two dictators. Who disrupt the global order, not in any kind of a positive way, in my view.
0: Yeah, well, no one. I don't think anyone is going to come on this show and defend other. I and mean, let's end um, on the media. You suggest that uh, one of the reasons for the crisis is our irresponsible media. Well, and, and I, in that sense, I think I tend to agree. I mean, the whole this whole Trump thing is presented as an endless soap opera. And this latest uh, chapter, maybe the final chapter, maybe the penultimate one, who knows, is also even by the serious media seems to be being presented as a soap opera. What should the media do? How should the media change the way it reports on American politics? And of course, the media has changed dramatically since Clinton. We have the Internet now. Uh, We have a much more um, democratized media. But the CNNs and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journals and even the conservative media what should they be doing to to create what your vision of a purple presidency would be in 2024
1: well again i um i absolutely think that the media have let america down in significant ways and even even when you take the trump example which i readily acknowledge is an extreme example but several um, major, highly respected media organs, I, I'm including the, the Atlantic, and I'm including um, the New York Times, and the Washington Post basically said, we basically have to give up on this whole notion of being uh, media of record and having a level of neutrality. This is too terrible to be neutral on. Very dangerous business because now you have a big chunk of America who are not going to listen to you. So I really think that having in the traditional media, I think it's very important for them to return to a, if you will, and this will really sound nostalgic to you, Huntley Brinkley or Walter Cronkite kind of standard in terms of how you report the news. Uh, when people didn't even know that Brinkley was a Democrat. Right.
0: I mean, that's not going to, I mean, it's all very well. We can all want to go back, but that's not very realistic. So, Owen, let's end with um, what you would suggest, people who agree with you, who want a purple presidency. What should they be doing today, in 2023, uh, in June, summer of 2023, as the two parties crank up their machinery for the next election? It doesn't sound to me as if you have confidence that either party will generate a purple candidate, where are we going to get a purple presidency? And what can individuals do, people who agree with you? Because there are going to be a lot of people who do indeed agree with you.
1: Yes. Well, I do think that this is a lot of this will have to come from individuals. If those individuals are Democrats or independents, they should be trying to tell the Democratic Party that we really don't want Biden, which is what they're already telling the pollsters. And we want somebody else. Is it Amy Klobuchar? Is it whoever it is? We want somebody else. And the Republicans should be doing the same thing. Trump is not a majority candidate anywhere. He, you know, he has a very dedicated minority. If the Republicans and the independents who tend to lean that way, if they get together and say, no, we want the Republicans to nominate someone else, it's quite possible for either party to nominate a much more representative candidate. And if it isn't the parties, and if the parties absolutely stamp their feet and say, we're not doing it, then it's time to say, there's no rule that says that there's only two parties and that you can only have uh, a president who came from the candidacy, one or the other of those. And people should get behind somebody who will challenge them win, lose or draw Perot was a very constructive influence, and the same thing can happen right now.